Hello and welcome to episode 244 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. How you doing, man? Doing well. Yeah, real busy. I mean, crazy times. It feels like everybody's either yeah. totally busy or doing absolutely nothing. But uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I've been I've been uh, super busy with Demon Live, so it's fun times. Yeah. yeah. You said the ask button requests were through the roof. People are studying, you know, and I'm like nonstop yelling at people about. I don't believe that they're actually studying if they're not getting confused enough to hit the ask button. So they're, you know, they're listening to that advice and they're working hard. Cool. Today on the show, we're going to talk about how the June LSAT is now LSAT Flex, which is their three-section online test. We have a Pearl versus Turds on floaters in the games. Mm-hmm. We have a question about always predicting the answer in logical reasoning. Always sounds a little strong, but yeah. anyways, someone needs some help with parallel reasoning. Ooh, we have some stuff about seat deposits. Do seat deposits matter? Do they even exist today? anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, desperate schools, desperate measures. That's our last topic. Well, I think we're going to have to go through these first topics quickly. I'm sure people are very curious about these last topics. This will air on Monday, May 4th. In a few days from now, we're recording it on Friday, by the way. Not that you all care, but just FYI. The June, in terms of events, the June LSAT Flex, uh, the June test was originally on June 8th, if I remember correctly. It's now going to be scheduled for the week of May 13th. Oh, no, that's when the scheduling process begins. Well, we'll see about that. Yeah, the delay last time. But anyways, so if you were signed up for the June LSAT, then you have the option to take June LSAT Flex, and you can register for a time on Wednesday, May 13th at noon. Um, the, the June test will take place uh, the week of, when is it? Oh, June 14th. Okay, interesting. So about a month before they'll let you register for a time using you, Proctor. The May LSAT, May LSAT Flex test starts the week of May 18th. Um, so most people will take their test from what I hear on Monday or Tuesday, but they're giving you the option to take it throughout the week, especially for accommodated testers, I believe. Anyways, on June 5th, that's when you'll get your May LSAT Flex score. And on June 30th, that's when you'll get your June LSAT Flex score. If all of that sounds confusing to you, don't worry about the June Flex test or the May Flex test if you weren't signed up for April or June, because uh, those options are only available for those registrants. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Send us your questions, your selfies, and leave us a review on iTunes. Just the other day, I was. Uh, Listening to NPR's Coronavirus Daily, um, I like NPR's podcasts. They're pretty good. They seem to be put together well. Anyways, I moseyed over to our podcast and saw some recent positive reviews. And a negative one, I can't remember what it was about, though, now. Unfortunately, it made me chuckle. But thank you for everyone's opinions. We appreciate it. I noticed that we tend to engender a lot of love or a lot of angst there's no you know how like when you look at reviews on amazon there's kind of like there's like a somewhat of a distribution but ours has kind of this like you sideways you kind of thing 
polarizing, you might you have say. have a lot of love, and then you have, yes, it's polarizing. Yeah, thank you. Anyways, yeah. you want to tackle this first one? Yeah, but I'm, I'm questioning your use of the word angst. Angst means a feeling of deep anxiety or dread, typically an unfocused one about the human condition or the state of the world in general. I don't think that we provoke angst. I think that we provoke <laughs> hatred. <laughs> I, think, I think it's more like 95% love and then 5% vehement hatred. Um, and I, I will take the blame. Is hatred... Hatred is such a strong word. I'm sure I'm responsible too. But no, you're um, not. It's me, might be... and it is hatred. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. It's just it's how I am. I don't know. It's it's my. <laughs> I don't think it's going to change. I'm trying to be kinder and gentler. I'm trying to be a softer, you know, kind, just nicer person as I get older. But I just can't help myself sometimes. I think you're an extraordinarily nice guy, Nathan. So I think I the people that really you know, know me know that I I, I really am. I, I mean well, and I, I just want to help. But I have a tone. <laughs> the tone, I think, sometimes makes people mad. Also, I mean, I'm direct, right? Like, I, I'm brutally honest. And so the brutal part sometimes um, it gets me in trouble. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm, do- okay. I'm doing the best well, anyways, I can. Yeah. Everybody's doing the best they can. I'm going to hide behind that. Cool. Yeah, you can always say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, a little bit of note about the iTunes thing, though. It does actually help if people write like words about the show. It's like tricks the algorithm basically into, you know, thinking that we're more important than we really are. So, if you go hit the five stars, that helps. But if you say something, good or bad, it actually helps us get found. And we do read those reviews and get a laugh out of them. So positive or negative, thank <laughs> yeah. you. We appreciate it. So sometimes people have like inside jokes, you know, it's kind of funny. So Yeah, that is funny. Yes. June LSAT. Yeah, June LSAT is another LSAT flex. This is an email from Susan over at LSAC. Okay, if you're registered for the June test, you are you either confirm your interest in it or you get a coupon. For a future test between July 2020 and April 2021. And you do that via your LSAC account and the online form. If, we, if they don't hear from you, they automatically register you for the June LSAT flex. But that doesn't mean you have a time. You do still have to do the scheduling process, uh, which opens up on Wednesday, May 13th, according to them. If you don't have the necessary equipment or an appropriate place to test, you can make a note of your situation by submitting the online form in your LSAC account no later than 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. (laughs) Fucking lawyers, bed. God damn it, it pisses me off. Monday, May 18th, 2020. So they will accommodate you if you... Boy, it makes me sad kind of to think about that. But if you're so poor that you don't have a computer that you can take the LSAT on, it's probably not the right decision to go to law school if that's the case. Let's be like honest. I don't know. <laughs> law school is not the solution yeah. to your poverty. It really isn't. Law school is like a luxury purchase. And you just shouldn't be doing it if you don't like kind of have <laughs> if you don't have it together enough to be able to take the LSAT flex online somewhere you probably should be getting a job not 
going into a very expensive three-year endeavor. Am I being elitist yeah. by saying that? I just don't think. I just don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think. You know, so I think in general that's true. I can imagine there's some exception out there where someone is going to get a full ride. They're going to get a stipend, like in a movie. There, yeah. But that's that's the problem. Is we see that in a movie. It's just not and then real. That distorts our view of like yeah. how frequent or common that is. Yeah, it's exceedingly. I was rare. actually thinking about that. In in regards to coronavirus, I was wondering, like, hey, we don't get this much coverage of who gets sick, how they get sick, what happens to them. Oh, the the pain and suffering that their family went through when people get the flu. But someone died of the flu not too long ago in uh, our high school here, and I was shocked. I was like, oh, my gosh. But if the media gave the same coverage to the flu that they give to the coronavirus, how different would we view these things or would we see them as pretty similar? I'm not saying that coronavirus isn't bad. I'm just saying how bad is everything else? We just don't talk about it or we don't put a a spotlight on it, right? Anyways, that's kind of a random tangent, but I think we we like to talk about the, the heroes that do make this transition from a challenging background to law school but yeah perception versus how, reality the law schools love to prop up yeah. that idea that you know law school is this great egalitarian force for good in the world you know and it's just it's mm-hmm. fucking not it's a thing for rich people to do it's a thing that it, it like entrenches power <laughs> rich kid, rich people send their kids to law school to get JDs so that they can continue to basically, you know, perpetuate the status quo. That's the truth of what's really going on at most law schools. And so these, mm-hmm. this idea that like, oh, this super poor person, you know, we're going to accommodate them so that they can take the LSAT so that they can go to law school so that they can change the world. It's like, yeah, sure. One out of a million, like one person per year, maybe. Fits that bill, mm. but the vast majority mm. of people just do not. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Um, <coughs> let's just keep talking about this. Let's just keep talking about what a scam <laughs> law school is <laughs> until we no longer have a podcast or a business. Um, that's Susan. Thank you, Susan, uh, from the LSAC. June LSAT is going to be another LSAT flex. There, you know what? This is what I really want to talk about. Everybody needs to stop complaining about the LSAT flex. The, uh, too many students, I, like when they found out that it was going to be flex in June, I get I had too many, oh, no. And I'm like, what are you complaining yeah. about? It's going to be a three-section take test it at home. instead of five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're going to take it at home. Yeah, you got to download some weird spyware shit onto your computer. Get used to it. They're probably already spying on you anyway. And, but other than, it's like, that's the same test. Why are you, what, you're panicking about, you don't want to take it on your own laptop? You would prefer to go to the fucking Holiday Inn conference room and take it on an LSAC provided tablet? And you would prefer that yeah. it's five sections, and you would prefer that there's the long ass check-in process and the <laughs> weird monitoring if you go to the bathroom and all that shit. You would you that's better. Yeah, it's clearly better online. So everybody stop just stop complaining. It's the same. The content of the test has not changed. 
don't give yourself an excuse to fuck it up. I think that's what it really is, maybe, Ben, like subconsciously. Mm. Just people have anxiety about the test, which I get. I understand that you're anxious about it. But I don't want you to be like giving yourself the excuse of, oh, well, you know, I took the LSAT flex and it just, the, it was just different, the online format. I mean, it was only three sections, you, you know. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly, exactly. I was like, no, I don't know. The questions are the same. It's not, it's going to be fucking easy. The test is easy. Once you get good at it, the test is easy. And three sections is certainly easier than five. So <laughs> I don't understand the, I don't understand the complaints. Just get over it. It's <laughs> the LSAT flex is a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. People, and then people are like, well, but what if law schools discount it because of like, maybe I won't take it because there's going to be the asterisk. And what if law schools don't like it? Is there any planet on which that happens, Ben? <laughs> Especially not as this year, <laughs> not this year, as desperate as the law schools. I mean, we're going to get to this at the end of the show, y'all. But law schools are looking real desperate for this application cycle. We got news for you, yeah. which is if you apply to this cycle and you're considering your offers, those offers very likely are going to improve. They're going to be the promo codes are going to be coming fast and furious mm-hmm. based on what we can tell here on the 1st of May. They are hurting for students on the 1st of September. Yeah. Anyway, you want to do this? uh, It's a Pearl versus Turd about floaters. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a longtime listener, and as I was studying, I found a potential Pearl in Ben's video explanation for Test A Game 3. Okay? In the setup, Ben mentions that if you have multiple floaters for the variables and see them both as answer choices... Then you can determine that neither of them are correct. Well, okay. What applies to one floater must apply to all floaters. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're on to something here. I don't want people to stress about this because uh, I think it's hard for newbies to understand as they're getting their mind wrapped around the games. But as you get your games down to minus one, minus two, hopefully just minus zero, you're just hitting every question you get correct. I do want you to start understanding like how you can use the test against itself. And one of the techniques you can do is you can take advantage of what I call floaters. I don't know what other people call them. They're just variables that don't have any constraints on them, right? So let's say a game has two floaters, L and M. They're just never talked about in the rules, but they have to be used at some point in the game. Well, you know that whatever is true about L must also be true about M because if L can go in a place, then why couldn't M go in a place? Um, They're both just equally unconstrained in that game. So if a question asks you, for example, which one of the following variables could go third and L and M are both potential answers, you know that those two answers have to be wrong because if one of them could go there, then the other one could as well because they're logically equivalent variables. So anyways, that's just something to be aware of later. I mean, I do think that when I explain that in class, there's like maybe 30% is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then the other 70% is kind of like, huh, what? So I think it can be confusing, but the bottom line is if two variables in a game 
are treated exactly the same, whether or not they're floaters. Like you could have two variables that have a rule affecting them, but it's the same rule. And so whatever variables, if you have two variables that are treated exactly the same, then whatever is true about one of them must be true about the other. So in some questions, some, not all, but in some questions, if you see them in the two answer choices, you know that they're both wrong. Yep. It's an advanced concept that really is, it, it can save you some time on the games sometimes if you recognize that yeah. Yeah, either these two are both floaters. Or they're, the point is not that they're floaters. The point is that they're equivalent. You know, And so these yeah. other two, for example, there might be like L and M each go before N. And that's the only rule about L and that's the only rule about M well, then L and M are going to be equivalent. Mm-hmm. So if they say which one of the following can't go third and L and M are both listed, then neither of them can be the answer because if one was the answer, the other one would have to also be the answer. They can't both be true at the same time, right? I'm, I'm going to say, since this is something that originated in my video, I'm going to say that this is a pearl for people who are doing well in the games, but it's not... It could even be a turd for those who are well, just getting started. It's never the only reason why that's not the answer, right? Like, if the question was, mm-hmm. so my example that I just said, Ben, L and M each must go before N, and that's the only rule about L, and it's the only rule about M, and we get a question that says, mm-hmm. who can't go third? And if both L and M are listed, since L and M are equivalent according to the rules, if L can't go third, then M can't go third, so you could eliminate both answers on that ground, on those grounds. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you also could put L into the third spot and put everybody else into places and not violate the rules. Just like you could put M into the third spot and everybody else into spots and not violate the rules. So it, you could also eliminate those answers on the grounds that, no, L can, in fact, go third, and M can, in fact, go third. So you don't actually need the trick of eliminating them because they're equivalent. I do think it's a shortcut sometimes for real high scorers. Also, it's a thing that many real high scorers already did on like the SAT mm-hmm. um, because it comes up in math a lot. Certain types of questions where it'll be like there'll be one answer that says X is even and another answer that says X is evenly divisible by two. Well, mm-hmm. X is even and evenly divisible by two, they mean the same thing. So then we can get yeah. rid of both of those answers. Yeah. I guess it pops up in logical reasoning sometimes, like on a role question. There'll be an answer that says it's a premise of the argument, and then there'll be another answer that says it was evidence used to support the argument's main conclusion. <laughs> yeah. What is that, everyone? It's a premise. Yeah, and so those are two answers that mean the same thing, so neither of them can be the answer. All right, anyway, do you want to give this a provisional pearl? That's, that's fine with me, provisional. It's really for high scores. It, it makes me think of uh, this other thing. I, I find it hard to explain to people in class. Maybe it's just uh, my failure as a teacher, but like... Have you ever gotten those like must be true questions in games where it's like if you know L is third which one of the following must be true and I will look at like another like diagram and 
If L is in third, which one of the following has to go in fourth? And then I'll look at another diagram that has L in third, and it will have like N in fourth. And I'll be like, oh, well, the answer has got to be N. And people are like, well, wait, hold up. That diagram is another diagram from another question. It has L in third, and it has N in fourth, but that's just what could happen like when L is in third. How, how do you know that that N has to go there? And I'm like, well, the question is saying if L is in third, which one of the following has to go in fourth? I know something has to go there. So if it's happened once, apparently it's going to happen all the time according to this question. So I don't have to prove this mm-hmm. in all scenarios. I can just see that it happened in one scenario. But sometimes I think that that confuses people. But I, I certainly use that, and it speeds things up. Mm-hmm. I just think these are things that come as you get more familiar or comfortable with the games and what must be true and Yada yada. Yeah, you don't need those tricks at the lower levels. I mean, if you're just trying to, if you're the type of student who is struggling to get, you know, 15 points on the games, you don't need any of that shit. You just need to do game one, figure them out. Do game two, figure them out. Yeah. Got it. You know, there's your 15 because you guess on the rest of the section, get your 15 points. And so you don't need any of the advanced stuff, but it can be useful at the higher levels for sure. Yeah. Cool. Danielle, you got this one? Hi, Ben and Nathan. You guys always say in the demon, well, I think Nathan mostly, predict the answer in logical reasoning questions. Yes, that is something that I say a lot. But I feel like with must-be-true questions and supported questions, you don't have to do that. Of course, you won't know if it's a must-be-true or supported question until you read the question. And we're reading the argument first, not the question. So should you just predict the answer all the time? Thanks, Danielle. I guess I can respond. I, the, if you can, yes. I mean, when you read the facts, I'll give you a just real simple example. It's always sunny in Los Angeles. Anyone who's in Hollywood is in Los Angeles. Nathan's in Hollywood. That's fact, fact, fact. No conclusion. I can't attack the logic there because there is no logic. There's no premise and conclusion. There's no since and therefore. And I'm not reasoning from a premise to a conclusion. Nonetheless, those facts, it's always sunny in Los Angeles, If you're in Hollywood, you're in Los Angeles. Nathan's in Hollywood. Those three facts, if you put them together, what the fuck else could they possibly have meant to say besides Nathan is somewhere where it's sunny? Yeah. And you're not doing it right if you don't reach that conclusion before you... You should reach that conclusion before you even read the question, ideally. Because it just, it only takes a moment. But like, I really want you to get in the mode of whoever's writing this has some purpose for putting these facts here on the page. It's not just random fun facts that they just pulled out of a hat. These facts are there for some sort of a purpose. So even if they don't actually make the conclusion, 
there is a conclusion that could be drawn there, right? A valid conclusion that could be drawn. And on some LSAT questions, I mean, they could actually ask you what was the main conclusion of that argument, even though the argument didn't actually make a conclusion. That question, just to clarify, would probably be structured as which one of the following best expresses the conclusion that the argument is structured sure. to make? Or which one of the following conclusions could be drawn from the facts above? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a must, they could ask a must-be-true question, they could ask a supported question, they could ask a main conclusion question, but what's the fucking point? Well, the fucking point is Nathan is somewhere where it's sunny. Because otherwise, what would they, why would they possibly have put this stuff on the page? Those words, in that order, why did they put them there? Well, because they wanted to say that Nathan is in a sunny place. Duh. And yeah, it's a must-be-true question. And yeah, you can't always predict the answer on a must-be-true question. But when they give you facts that obviously link together, you need to link them together. It's... It's, it's an inference, right? If you can make an inference, inference just means something that must be true. If they give you facts mm-hmm. and those facts support an inference, well, the reason why they put the facts on the page is to see if you would make that inference. So <laughs> if there's an inference that can be drawn, you should draw the inference before they ask you the question. It's like, just think about it. And if you think about it for five seconds and you reach the conclusion, oh, okay, so these facts do support a valid conclusion that Nathan is, you know, he's got to be in Los Angeles and it's all of a sudden in Los Angeles, so therefore Nathan is somewhere where it is sunny. Okay, now ask me anything. And if it turns out to be a must-be-true question, you already know the answer. And it's just, it's, a, it's such a better way of doing the LSAT. It's, a, it's so much easier and it's so much more fun. Yeah. So I guess my response to Danielle is, yeah, if you can, you should totally be predicting the answer. Regardless of the, I mean, it's not even predicting the answer because we don't know what the question is yet. So to reword Danielle's question, it's like, should I th- stop and think about it before I go on to the question and the answer choices? Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you totally should. Because it's amazing. Half the time, if you stop for five or ten seconds, you're going to realize, it, like, you're just going to think about the facts and you're going to go, oh, well, that means this. And that turns out to be the answer to whatever question they might ask you. Yeah. Well, one thing I like to clarify for people is that there's like, in my mind, there's two breaking points or two maybe places where you're definitely going to want to hit the pause button. The first is, so you read the passage first, right? That's the very first thing that happens. You read the passage and you're trying to understand it. You're trying to make sense of each sentence. But before you read the question, you're hitting pause for a half second. And if and you're assessing that passage, exactly what you're t- talking about right here, right? You're, you're, you should know before you read the question, after you've read the passage, you should know whether or not that passage is an argument or a set of facts. And if it's a set of facts, they've some of those facts have got to relate to each other in some way. And you have ideally already thought about 
and if you haven't yet, this is why you're hitting the pause button, how those facts relate to each other and what you can safely conclude from those facts on your own. And if it's an argument, then you've figured out what the conclusion is, you've figured out what at least some of the evidence is, and you're trying to decide whether or not you think that evidence proves the conclusion. That is the work you do between the passage and the question. Then you read the question, and the work you just did before reading the question usually leads you right to the answer. You're like, oh, well, I already figured out this is an argument. I already figured out that it sucks because this guy <laughs> is assuming that all you know restaurants are safe restaurants or something like that. And then the question's like, which one of the following, if true? most strongly supports the argument above. You're like, well, that's a strengthened question and this guy's assuming this thing, so to help him out, I'm going to need an answer choice or I want an answer choice, not necessarily need one, but I want an answer choice that fixes that assumption. The correct answer may or may not be exactly what you predicted, which is why we always say, you know, look, you're going to still have to read through the answers and figure these things out. But the bottom line is I'm hitting pause before I read the question and then as soon as I do read the question, if I, I, I'm hitting pause again before I read the answer choices to either refine my prediction based on the work I already did or just run with that because it's good enough, right? Like sometimes the question prompts you to think a little bit more and you refine what you were thinking, but yeah. Those are the two places where I'm stopping to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I would even add a third stop. Or <laughs> I think people need to stop more often, even in the middle of the passage. Oh, 100%. I would say after each sentence. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, a period is a stop sign. And so it's totally fine to stop for a moment and make sure that something went in. Like if you read the first sentence, yeah. I'm doing scare quotes with my fingers in the air. If you read the first sentence and you don't know what it said, mm-hmm. well, then you need to read it again. Like This is not a test where you yeah. can skim stuff and not understand it. Lawyers are not people who yeah. read things and don't understand them. <laughs> Lawyers are people who understand everything they read. So when you read the yeah. first sentence, if you didn't quite get it, you got to read that again. And even if you get to a semicolon or a comma, and it's a long ass, you know, four or five lines, 30, 40 words in the first sentence, you could even stop halfway through that first sentence and make sure that something is going in. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, then you're going to get to the end of the argument, not really have any idea what they said. Oh, throw your hands up. Ah, I'll just read the question. Ah, Maybe the answers will explain it to me. And now you're doing a much more complicated version of the test than I am. And you don't yeah. want to compete with me when I'm doing an easier version of the test than you are. That's not a good, you're not going to win that battle. <laughs> you're really yeah. not. Like there are so many questions, Ben, where I already know the answer after reading like one or two sentences of the passage. Like you connect mm-hmm. the first sentence to the second sentence and that turns out to be the answer. But if you didn't understand the first sentence or you didn't understand the second sentence or you didn't stop to realize that they connect, then now you're just you're you're doing a vastly more complicated version of the test where you're going to have to seriously engage with all five answer choices 
and it's going to take forever. And go back and compare <laughs> them to the passage and then decide, totally. oh, wait, maybe that relates to these two sentences together. No, just own the passage. Once you own the passage, yeah. then you're ready for the question. Totally. And once you've read the question, you can start to predict an answer based on the ownership you already have of the passage. Yes, and the LSAT becomes fun and easy because it really is fun to predict the answer. It's fun to just read the first sentence, read the second sentence, and go, oh, well, okay, so those two things combined mean this thing. Okay, and then you read another sentence and another sentence, and then it says which one must be true. And then you're like, oh, well, the third and fourth sentence didn't really connect that much, but the first two sentences supported a valid inference, and you scan the answer choices, and there it is. And it's like, it takes Hmm. not even half as long. As, as it would to do it the other way, right? I mean, sometimes it takes like a quarter as much time to do the test that way. And it's all because you took five seconds to make sure that you were making the connections as you were reading the passage, owning the passage. I like that. So always predict the answer in logical reasoning. I mean, yeah, like as you're reading the passage, you should be putting the pieces of the puzzle together. That's why they put the puzzle pieces out for you, is so that you would solve the puzzle. Your job as a lawyer is to like think about all the facts and then think about what inferences might be drawn from those facts. If you're not doing that, you're not just you're just not acting like a lawyer. You're not you're not addressing the test as a lawyer would. So you got to get on attack mode. And I don't care what the question type is. I don't know what the question type is. When I'm reading the argument, I'm going to be, or reading the passage, I'm going to be putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And that is predicting the answer. So I don't predict after, like once they say, if they say, you know, which one of the following must be true, well, I've probably already made the prediction. If I'm going to make the prediction, I've already made it in that case, right? That's, I think, maybe what Daniel's missing is that. I'm doing it all the time while I'm reading the passage in the first place. But then, yeah, if it says which one must be true or which one is most strongly supported, those types of questions aren't always necessarily predictable. So I'm probably not going to take another moment to predict an answer after I've already read the passage and made a prediction, right, or, or made a connection between the facts in the passage. Now, if it was a sufficient assumption question or a flaw question or something, then I would totally jam on the brakes and like force myself to make a prediction before I went to the answer choices. But I'm not going to force myself to make a prediction on must be true or supported questions. I will catch it during the, during the passage itself, as I was reading the passage itself. All right. You want to read this one from Patrick? Yeah. Ahoy, says Patrick. (laughs) Okay. All right. I suck at parallel reasoning. (laughs) The only thing that seems to help me is when I look for logically significant words like all, most, every, if, and only. Mm. Is that bad? Thank you for everything. Stay safe, Patrick. Yeah, you know. Rookie move. You're focusing on the icing of the cake rather mm. than the cake itself. And mm-hmm. I like my cake with ice icing. So I, I, <laughs> these things play a role. But unfortunately, you're just like eating the icing out of the cake can which sucks uh, it's not a real cake <laughs> okay ben Olson, ladies and gentlemen random metaphors 
that's my that's my Twitter handle. <laughs> man of metaphors, or or mom for short. Um, okay, yeah. So you need to fo- actually. You just need to listen to what we were telling Danielle. You need to focus on understanding each sentence, yeah. understanding the argument. Does it? When you read that passage, does it have a conclusion? Does it have evidence? In a parallel reasoning question, if you didn't recognize the passage as having an argument, you need to put not only a pause, you need to put the a full break on and just be like, what did I miss? Go back, figure out where the conclusion is, figure out the evidence that's being used to support that conclusion, and ask yourself, is it good or bad? And start understanding the argument first. And then when you read the five answer choices, you're going to be like, yeah, this feels like it's good in the same way or bad in the same way. That's a much better place to work from, even if you have further to go. Patrick, you do suck at parallel reasoning because you are making the rookie mistake super common. You're focusing on the I would say that you're focusing on the trees and failing to see the forest, but you're actually looking at like the individual needle, you know, on one on the tree. <laughs> you're trying to instead of like really looking at the 40,000 foot view of the the whole entire landscape. You're just missing that what you're really going for here when they say which one is, you know, the most similar. Mm-hmm. The big picture stuff matters way more than the tiny little details. To give you an example of this, I was thinking about those times when they uh, they use the same wording uh, as the original, not the same topic necessarily, but they use the same wording, like they use usually, or here you're giving an example of only or every or something like that, yeah. and they put it in an if-then statement, but the if-then statement is reversed in one of the answers, but yeah. the language is exactly the right. same as the original. So people are like, oh, I just like how this sounds. Right. Yeah, but it's saying if A, then B, and the original was actually doing it correctly. It said if B, then A. Um, so the original argument wasn't flawed. This one is flawed, and it's exhibiting the flaw that is LSAT's number one like most wanted flaw. So it's dead wrong. Because Before we even- fundamentally. Yes. Before we even get to the question, we should be asking as we're reading the passage, right? We, the way we, we read the passage never changes. Are they making an argument? If they are, what's their evidence? What's their conclusion? And does it add up? Right? Mm-hmm. If they made an argument, did they make a good argument or did they make a shitty argument? Normally, they make shitty arguments, and your job is to say why. That's just the very basics of logical reasoning. You should be doing that on every single question, Patrick. So if we're going to find a parallel statement, you know, okay, they've made an argument. So real rough, thumbs up, thumbs down. How do we feel about this argument? Do we have an obvious objection? If we have an obvious objection, if they've fucked something up in their given argument, then they're going to fuck it up in the exact same way in the correct answer. And that's the easiest way by far to answer the question is to just say, nah, look, you confused sufficient for necessary and correct answer C also confuses sufficient for necessary. Boom, you're done. I don't give a shit about almost every if, like all the specific exact language. They fucked it up because they confused sufficient for necessary and that's just the answer. Or they confused correlation for causation. 
Yeah, like if you on some maybe harder parallel reasoning questions, they might have two answer choices that both fuck it up in the same way, but one uses a word strength that's more similar. In that sense, they're repeating another error in the same way. And so these things can become significant, which is why I've come sometimes called them logically significant. But they're insignificant compared to the meat of the argument. So that's what you got to focus on first. Yeah, and if they made a valid argument, you should notice that as well. And then when we go into the answer choices, we're looking for a similar valid argument where it's like, yeah, they made two they presented two premises, they were both conditional, and the two premises supported the conclusion that they made. Nothing extra, nothing different. They didn't fuck anything up. I feel good about that argument. Okay, so now when I go into the answer choices, I'm looking for an argument that I feel good about. It has nothing to do with this like matchy matchy like well there's the the word sum is in this argument so the correct answer has to also have the word sum in it. I mean maybe but that's the like last thing we're going to think about. The first thing is just a real rough like is the argument good or bad. Cool. I think and good that's luck, clearly, Patrick. Yeah, that's yeah. what Patrick misses and that's what every like rookie student misses. And it's like they can get it right but it takes them forever. And they'll, and they'll be like, well, I get the easy ones right, but it takes me forever. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's because you're not just, you got to think about the big picture instead of getting into these small, like nitty gritty details that probably don't, you, you could, there are much easier ways to get to the correct answer. Yeah. And even, even if it's taking you a long time at first, that's okay. You're, you're developing like your mental chops, right? So that you can like digest arguments, understand their structure read another argument and decide whether it has a similar structure or not, even if it's in, presented to you in a different order. I wish, I wish I could get people to understand, like logical reasoning is kind of a beautiful test of your ability as a lawyer. I really believe this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, if I was like going out to hire a lawyer, I could see myself like giving them five logical reasoning questions and see how they deal with it. <laughs> yeah, like, how they how they walk you through, right? Yeah, like, okay, explain process. this to me, and then I'll see if I want to hire you to do my litigation for me. Because it's it's about being the master of the argument first. So if if you can just get in the mode of here's a random person making a random argument. I don't know whether it's good or bad. I'm on guard because I'm expecting it to be bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be able to tell you with certainty whether it's bullshit or not. And that's like the, that's like half, at least half of the battle on logical reasoning, including these parallel reasoning questions. Yeah. So I think what Patrick's missing and what so many students miss is that they think that, oh, no, it's a parallel reasoning question. So I am supposed to be doing this weird matching operation and it's like, no, what you really should have done is you should have just mastered, you should have dominated that argument in the first place. Yeah. If you, if you really grasped what was going on with that argument, if you could really tell me why it's bullshit, or if you could tell me, no, it's actually not bullshit, it's actually totally proven, the conclusion is proven by the premises, well, you've already answered that parallel reasoning question now whether you know it or not like you've done 95 percent of the work mm-hmm. yeah. before you even looked at those long ass answer choices you already have done 95 percent of the work so that's the much easier way to do it right it's not this matchy matchy like looking for individual words in the answer choices fuck that 
Instead, it's just this like domination of the argument in the first place. Much easier way to do it. All right, Ben, what's going on with seat deposits? These are some crazy emails from Redacted. We don't want to blow up our friend and frequent correspondent of the show. Yeah. Yeah, you want to take this first one? Sure. <laughs> this is uh, this is from uh, GW is George Washington. WL is, is yeah. Washington and Lee. Lee, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're one's in Virginia. Washington Lee is in Virginia. George Washington is in DC. Okay. Big time law schools. Yep. Seat deposits don't matter. I just straight up ignored their entire emails about George Washington and most of the emails about George Washington. <laughs> Wait, what? And I got a personal reach out from the Dean of Admissions. I'm predicting here, but I have a strong feeling that these huge schools are way under their enrollment goals because of COVID-19. And so then here's the Dean's email, Dean Sim. Um, Thanks for your email. I know that you had been placed on the scholarship wait list in the event that funds became available. As you can tell, we are trying to finalize deposits in order to know what funds are remaining. I can certainly give you an extension until we get back to you next week. However, before I do, I thought it was worth reaching out to you since things may have changed since you submitted the reconsideration request in February. Many of the other schools you had listed were for full-ride scholarships. At GW, we do not offer full rides except through our binding presidential program. The largest award we give through those that apply through the regular process is $50,000 a year, and only five students are awarded that amount. Given where we are, if funds become available, it's possible we can increase your award slightly, say forty-three to 45000 <laughs> Can you be more specific of what your expectation is? Thanks, Dean. Wow, it's just so fucking. It's so obviously made up numbers. It's just so fake. It's just a big like. All they're doing is trying to squeeze the maximum profit they possibly can squeeze out of every single applicant. Even this applicant, who is overqualified for the school based on you know having a high LSAT score, (laughs) a lot of other reasons, but this person is. This applicant is overqualified for George Washington, has gotten into better schools, has gotten offers from better schools, and is now trying to get that full ride that, you know, he deserves. And but then the dean is like, well, I don't know, maybe 43 or 45. Okay. Anyway, second email. And he ignored their emails. Yes. So he ignored it. Or, or said no. I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what happened. Um, okay. Thank, thank, we might be conflating the next one down here, the part two under desperate schools, desperate measures. This might be a different deal. Mm. This is maybe just a mm. little bit of a negotiating thing with George Washington. Thanks, blank. I appreciate the response, and I'm sorry that we could not make it happen. Oh, this is after. Sorry. We should have maybe organized our shit a little bit better. To reboot, what happened here was there was this negotiation that had happened, and the student said, sorry, I'm withdrawing my application. Mm-hmm. Okay? And this is what the dean, so the dean wrote again and said, thanks, I appreciate the response, and I'm sorry that we could not make it happen. If you'd like, I'm happy to give you an extension until closer to the second deposit deadline of June 1, 
in the event that funds do free up closer to that deadline. This only makes sense if you are fairly certain you would attend George Washington for that amount. (laughs) Take care, Dean Sim. So I finally figured out what happened here. So there was the previous negotiation back and forth Mm-hmm. Where the student was basically saying, hey, I want a full ride. I'm going to go to law school. I'm not paying for law school. I'm no. going to go to one of these other schools that have already offered me a full ride. So are you going to give me a full ride, George Washington, or not? Like, yeah. that's the negotiation. <laughs> give me a full ride yeah. or not. And this dean yeah. says a bunch of bullshit about, well, we don't give these except for our binding presidential program. But now the max we do give is 50000 But only five students get that. So maybe we could offer you forty three to forty five. And the applicant responded with, sorry, actually just take me off your list. Yeah. <laughs> and then the dean said, oh, uh, I'm sorry that we couldn't make it happen. Um, I- I'll tell you what, if you'd like, I could extend you until closer to the second deposit deadline. And, um, but, you know, that only makes sense if you're fairly certain that you would attend George Washington for that amount if the funds did open. <laughs> It's weird. <laughs> well, it's because they're fucking desperate. Yeah. They're desperate. So this is an example. This is, and we've talked about this on the show before. This is an example of a student actually telling the school, you know what? Never mind. I'm withdrawing my application. Yeah. And the school coming back with, well, what if we gave you more money though? Hmm. It's like walking off the lot at the car dealer, Ben. Yeah. It makes a big fucking difference when you're willing to walk away. Oh, did I tell you that we did that when we were looking for those SUVs? Oh, did you end up buying one? No, never ended up getting one. But oh. uh, after we, <laughs> we, we got the price down pretty low, and then it was like, eh, nope, walked away, and then bam. It's like getting calls and email. Oh, we got this great deal on this other car that seems better than what you were looking for and it's going to be a little cheaper i talked to my manager to come on in. yeah <laughs> and it's the fourth of july f- dealer incentive special fucking i forgot about <laughs> it's the may first <laughs> desperation sale oh did i say desperation <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just it's so obvious. It's so transparent. You know, they try to they try to simultaneously, you know, they they try to like they're like on this razor's edge of like they're gassing you up about how you're such a great applicant. You're such a great candidate. But our school is so prestigious and it's so hard. And we just, do we just you know, you it would you would really be honored if if we do admit you, <laughs> you would be honored to come here. And pay yeah. as much, pay full price, of course. Oh, but we will give you this small promo code, you know, just to get you to sign now. And as soon as you start negotiating, it becomes very clear that, like, oh, yeah, they know you're overqualified for the school. Once they realize that you're a savvy applicant, and especially if you're savvy enough to actually walk away, <laughs> then they're like, oh, wait a second. Ooh, yeah, the truth is we need your numbers. And, um, hmm, yeah. yeah you know yeah well so here's another one right kind of kind of piling on here our correspondent this is a different correspondent no this is the same correspondent 
Okay. Uh, negotiating with a different school. This is W and L. This is Washington and Lee. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay the first one it. was only George Washington. This one is only Washington and Lee. Okay. He writes, I withdrew from them several weeks ago. Check out the bottom of the email. Quote, if your plans change. Ah, that's the same language as GW. Um, he continues, a buddy of mine received an email from Washington and Lee saying that they have reopened their admissions applications last week. This is the second best ranked school in Virginia after University of Virginia, which is 30. Oh, I see. University of Virginia is around like seventh or something. Washington and Lee is around 34th. Yeah. Um, anyways, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So dear so-and-so, this is from Washington and Lee, Lisa, who's in the she's the assistant dean of admissions this email confirms the withdrawal of your application whoa okay we know you are undoubtedly very busy at this time but if you could please take a moment to complete our decline survey we would greatly appreciate it the survey is a short simple form that provides you the opportunity to express the reasons why you chose not to attend washington and lee law It also provides us with a great deal of useful information as we plan and prepare for the coming year. We value your comments and feedback. Okay. She continues. If we can be of further assistance or if your plans this fall change, please do not hesitate to contact us. We are happy to help and encourage you to explore future opportunities to join our unique law school. Bullshit. Unique. Unique. Yeah. (laughs) Unique law school community. Okay. Thank you again for your interest in Washington and Lee. We will wish you, and we wish you success in your future legal endeavors. Sincerely, Lisa. Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, GW is a highly ranked school and it sounds like they're fishing for candidates. Um, I thought, I thought we saw another email, but that I guess it didn't get on the agenda about a school that was just reaching out to those who hadn't responded, but maybe, maybe I'm getting mixed up here. But in any case, it does seem like schools are losing applicants um, who are just rethinking. They're just hitting the pause button on law school because of COVID-19. Very sensibly, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like if you decide not to start law school this fall because you're worried about COVID-19, that's a totally smart decision. It'll always be there I mean, some law schools might not be there next fall, which is a real good reason not to go this fall because the school you're going to might not exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, we've been long overdue for major contraction in law schools, right? There are many law schools that shouldn't exist. Now, these law schools Mm -hmm. will continue to exist, but there are many law schools that don't even deserve to be existing in the first place. We're producing way too many people who, with JDs who are never going to practice law. We've been yelling about that for years on the podcast. And this yeah. is a pretty good time for the economy to significantly contract and for some of these <laughs> low, lower-ranked law schools are going to be really fucked. What was your anecdote, Ben, about Harvard? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, a former student of mine who was debating between Harvard and Stanford, actually, okay. um, you know, not <laughs> not a common Rough life, yeah. problem. Yeah. But anyways, uh, he was considering deferring because of the online prospects for fall yeah. semester. He's like, look, I want to go to Harvard because I want to go there. I want to meet these people. I want to have a good experience. I want to leverage everything that Harvard has to offer. And... Um, you know, they're saying they're going to likely be online or that they might be online. And I just don't want to deal with that. 
So I'm going to defer for a year uh, or maybe consider Stanford or something like that. I mean, I know these are challenges that most people don't have and they just cry for the opportunity to be debating those two schools. But the point is, is that even Harvard is getting people who are saying, nah, nah, maybe not, maybe next year, which by the way, when you defer, although you're planning to go next year, a lot can happen between now and then. And he may actually end up going to some other schools that may come back and say, hey, look, this is what I want to offer you given <laughs> your situation, and he would get more money from them and end up going there. So when, until you close the deal uh, and really show up there on campus, it might not happen. And so if Harvard yeah. is struggling with that, there's got to be other oh, schools that are just it filters up bleeding. Or it filters mm-hmm. down, right? So like mm-hmm. I know people, uh, listeners of the show, you know, former students who have become friends, like I know people who have accepted offers at UC Irvine or accepted offers at Chapman. And you know who you are. And yes, I'm talking specifically to you. You might want to renegotiate that deal because all these other law schools, higher ranked law schools, are going to be increasingly desperate this fall. So if you happen to be somebody who already applied and you've got offers, you know, you, you think you've made up your mind, people like to make up their mind too soon, Ben. People love like they want to have already made their decision in February or March or whatever. I don't think they should. I think they should wait as long as possible to make the final decision on where they're going to go to school because the negotiation isn't over until school actually starts. And especially right now, like if you're going to move potentially to go to school somewhere, you want to make sure that you're getting the very best deal you possibly can. And shit changed over the past couple months. Yeah. Shit changed everywhere in the entire world. Shit changed dramatically over the last couple months. And so... (laughs) there are going to be people at every top ranked law school deciding not to go. We just had, I mean, on the Facebook group, we had somebody say that they were admitted to NYU for this fall and they've decided not to go. Hmm. Like it's too uncertain. I can't spend that kind of money right now. Yeah. And they're, you know, so very prestigious school, but they're just like, nah, I think I'm going to wait. Well, okay. That's a spot that opened up at NYU which means that there's a spot now opening up at George Washington, mm-hmm. a slightly lower school, which means that there's a spot opening up at Washington and Lee. Yep. You know, and it's just like it filters down the whole food chain. So, like, boy, is it a bad time to pay for law school. If you're paying anything, I think you should not. Yeah. And even if you're going on a full ride, you might be able to get a better full ride right now. Yeah, You know, if you're willing to like, I think you should really put the screws to them. I think you should wait until the last fucking minute and then decide what you're going to do. Yeah. If you're willing to walk away. People may reach out. Oh, totally. Well, this is, this is two different schools. This is George Washington refusing to take no for an answer. George Washington's a good school, right? This applicant told them, never mind. I'm withdrawing my application. And the dean responded with, if you'd like, I'm happy to give you an extension until closer to the second deposit deadline of June 1. In the event that funds do free up closer to that deadline, which it's fake money anyway, you know, like it's a, it's a promo code. Yeah. 
so it, all that is is just a continuing. It's continuing the negotiation, and yeah. then it's the exact same thing at Washington and Lee. You know, can you fill out our decline survey? Because we really want to know why you chose not to attend <laughs> Washington and Lee. And uh, also, if your plans this fall change, please don't hesitate to contact us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like our fake deposit deadline. You you balked at the fake deposit deadline, and uh, you know maybe we still could uh, have a talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh god, I, man, uh, Warren Buffett famously says that you should uh, be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. And mm. this is a time where people are fearful. And it's a good time if you're an applicant. It's a real good time to get greedy. Yeah, I, I think you could end up getting yourself an amazing deal right now. Man, cool. That almost even you know, Ben. We always yell at people about not applying late. Yeah, but <laughs> if I was sitting on a one sixty five and a three point six or something i don't know what it you know whatever numbers are that are better than washington and lee yeah if i hadn't even applied yet <laughs> send this dean of admissions assistant dean of admissions send send her an email and be like hey here's my numbers think i could go are for free interested? this fall <laughs> yeah <laughs> because i think all the rules are completely out the window right now yeah I would think that this is a chance right now for people to snap up some deals. You'll never know until you ask. Just ask, yeah. If it's not good, walk away. You have September to apply. It's all a negotiation, you know. This is a real good time to shoot your shot, I think. <laughs> and if you, and yeah, again, they say no. Well, guess what? September first, they're going to be doing this whole thing all over again, and they're going to be, you know, potentially more desperate on September 1st because they're going to be looking at their paltry enrolling class and they're going to be like, holy shit, or how are we going to even stay in business? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's going to be even better in September, I think. But it ought to be awful good right now. This is, a, this is not the time to be paying for law school. This is not the time to be taking some shitty offer. It's a buyer's market. Yeah. They are fucking desperate. All right. I think we sold go. that hard enough, yeah. You can always join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. Uh, follow us at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at NFox. I actually look at Twitter. So you can reach out and find okay. me on Twitter at NFox. Cool. Our online live class, it's in Zoom, is at LSATdemon.com. Uh, there are several options there but it's the best way to prepare for the LSAT these days and will be forevermore, or at least that's our plan. You can also find the podcast at thinkinglsat.com and get an LSAT Demon shirt if you want. Leave us a review on iTunes. That was episode 244 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.